0: Hey there, listeners. Just want to jump in before the show starts proper and give a quick shout-out to our sponsor on this episode, which comes from our friends over at Arrow Video. Uh, Like another sponsor we often have on the show, the Criterion Collection, Arrow Video just does really, really great uh, Blu-ray restorations of culty, art house, all kinds of films, a very eclectic mix that they they shine a light on and provide really great discs of. Um, So just want to give a shout-out to uh, some Blu-ray releases, but also uh, a book that they are responsible for that's out this month. And it's a book about the mid-80s uh, horror film with Rucker Hauer, The Hitcher. Uh, there's a fascinating story behind this film, and it's actually a, a pretty underrated uh, horror movie that we've talked about on AYT years ago, actually. So um, I'm sure it'll come up again as it's a, it's a favorite of my co-host, Joe Von Oppens. But the book is called The Hitcher, so take a look at it from Arrow Video. Um, and then a Blu-ray release they're putting out is Volume 2 of Seijun Suzuki, The Early Years, um, a collection of, it looks like five movies of his, uh, stuff preceding his more well-known uh, films like Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill. Uh, so, like I said, it's, uh, it's a collection of some of his earlier movies. This one's uh, given a subtitle of the Crime in Action Movies. So, this is a director that really came to prominence in the 60s for uh, certain art house uh, moviegoers. Um, his movies are pretty incredible, the ones I've seen. So, excited to dive into this back catalog. And now I can, thanks to uh, Arrow Video's release. So, we thank them again for their support on this episode. And for putting out awesome, awesome Blu-rays. Now, on to the show. And welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe von Oppen. Joe, there's there's a big movie that's out. We're we're all aware of this movie. Rampage. <laughs> exactly. Rampage. Uh, a Quiet Place. Uh, Black Panther. That's a big movie. Still. Uh, still big. Still. Jumanji is still playing in theaters here. Yeah. Never saw that. The The Rock is everywhere though. That's that's one thing to take away. Um, yeah. The rock is everywhere. Um, but yeah, this this uh this Avengers movie. I've seen it.
1: Oh, oh yeah. I you've seen it. I haven't seen it.
0: <laughs> I don't think you're going to see it. I don't think you ever were going to, but definitely when I got a hold of you yesterday to let you know, don't bother. I, I'm pretty sure I, I mean I feel confident you're gonna follow through on on not watching it. Is that is that probably the case?
1: Well, yeah. Feeling as though like Marvel movies at their best are still like, eh, they're okay to me. Uh, so, you know, like having a movie that I felt was like engineered for me to enjoy with like, like all of me, which was black Panther. Like I still was like, that was okay. Um, so I just feel like, I'm like maybe I'm done. Like maybe black Panther two, I'll see three, four, how, who knows how many we're going to, you know, have for the rest of time. <sighs> But it was like, other than that, like I've start, I've stopped following them for the most part. Did not see the second Avengers movie, Age of uh, old, 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 huh? Age what, of a- It's bad. <laughs> and and so now Infinity War is out, and like all of them, like there's so many people, too many people to follow. It's you know, it's the Wu Tang Clan of just like unfollowability and. uh... <laughs> if they involve like the killer bees affiliates and just all of them where you're like, who, I don't who the fuck is that guy? I've never heard him before. So yeah, I, and it, it got like a insane percentage rating on rotten tomatoes. So people are just all about it, all for it. And, uh, you, you cut through the din as a voice of reason that, you know, knows me. And that, that feels, that's comforting to know that, you know, me <laughs> do not see this movie you will hate it I was like okay
0: thank you <laughs> I just me. I and I I think I even told you like I I was fine with it I saw it yesterday um right. I got to see it in a, a digital IMAX screen and it's actually formatted for digital IMAX so it really fills the not true IMAX screen but a big movie <sighs> screen at uh at the Lloyd Center here in Portland and uh, I'm glad I saw it there um, I'm not glad I gave it 20 of my dollars because I should have just given that to two tickets for you were never really here and just called it a day. But uh, you know, that's maybe I'll just have to go see that movie two more times and uh, make amends. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, man, the avengers I had fun with it, it for the most part. It's like forgettable. And in, in for me, forgettable f- killing of two and a half hours. I saw it with my girlfriend and her brother who really likes these movies. So like that was an enjoyable thing to yeah. do. Having said all that, I'm shocked by not only um it's not the good reviews or the high rotten tomatoes percentage, that doesn't shock me. It's sort of a foregone conclusion that Marvel at this point makes movies generally like good enough for the main audience that like they they tend to get good enough reviews, right? So that's yeah. just sort of the 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 standard for these Marvel movies. <clears throat> what I'm shocked by is all the talk of this crazy ending of infinity war. Oh my gosh. The ballsy ending. I am I'm sure you've come across this over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's bullshit. This is not a crazy ending. I could have, I guessed what was going to happen without really even ever reading these comics. I knew what the quote unquote crazy ending would be. It, um, also, uh, feels like bullshit because I can't really go into it, I guess, to respect people that haven't seen it, but There are things that will not still, there are characters that have uh, died, I'll say that, that will be back inevitably Mm -hmm. by the movie that comes out next year. There's another Avengers movie coming out next year. So it's weird how, um, what I've been thinking about since seeing it is how good Disney is At Not just the overall marketing of these movies, because really they just throw a lot of money and spread spread it around so everybody knows these movies exist, but it's the way they kind of manipulate public perception of their movies. Um, Because everybody is saying this ending is crazy and oh my gosh, but it's like we know there's another Avengers movie coming. This is only part one of the Infinity War story they've kind of been really clever about they haven't announced the subtitle of the next one because it might be a spoiler for it. So I think they're really good at crap. That's a great way to like manipulate the fans of this series, right? We can't even tell you what the title of the next one is. It'll, it'll, you know, like they're so good at that. And um, I'm impressed by that. I guess like on an intellectual level, I guess, I don't know. Or like from a business aspect, but um, this this movie being the one that's supposed to be like, it all led up to this, shit really happens. There are so many still fake out deaths in this movie. And it's the thing that you and I have often had issues with if, for any of the movies we've seen in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe people die and they they can't even wait five minutes to bring them back somehow. And it's been happening in almost all these movies that I've seen and it drives me crazy. And I thought, well, hey, this is gonna be the one where some shit happens and no, actually like um, there are several fake outs before the big ending that I still was like, Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me where um, it started to wear on me and I was able to just enjoy. I've come to another realization is if I look at these Marvel movies as just kind of comedies with action, Uh I I tend to enjoy them more. Like Thor Ragnarok was really enjoyable because it was funny as hell. Right. I guess Black Panther doesn't is is a funny entertaining movie in that way, but it felt more like an action movie than that, mm-hmm. so it's slightly different. But um I guess I've just had to come to peace like if I look at these as like big, loud, fun well, I wouldn't say fun. Funny, like, you know, episodes, sure. Then I can I can be okay with that. But um yeah, man, uh, again, uh, I I do not recommend you do it cuz it's just it's like the nightmare von Oppen scenario of like what movies are what a certain kind of movie is becoming and has become.
1: Well, I think that also, like, you know, I know that Thor Ravni, Ravioli, whatever the fuck it's called. Like, I know that that was like a fun hair metal kind of like fantasy Flash Gordon homage type movie. And like that, that's an exception. But it seems like most of the trailered, you know, installments in the Marvel universe and then in the DC universe is like it's always about the dark chapter this is the empire strikes back like what huh like and so since we're always like churning through like the next spin-off of a spin-off of a sequel to a you know like we're always like digesting some iteration from that fucking vast universe they're like, we're always in some dark chapter of a spinoff. And so it's just like, this is the dark night of the soul for Spider-Man and Ant-Man. Like, what? Come on. what? Because it's all just like, ultimately <laughs> you hear this sort of like, the cash register ring. And like, that's all this is doing. Like, yeah. because it has to sustain itself as an entertainment model, and I'm not knocking it for that, because it's the thing that's keeping movie theaters afloat. Like, there, there is a ultimate shallowness to it. Cause it's like trying to, it's just keeping an economic model afloat. And so there isn't really anything narratively adventurous about it ever. Like it can tweak the nipples of the formula. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but like, basically it, it will not deviate too much. Like star Wars was a, f- like when it came out in 1977, <laughs> Like they didn't know it was going to be as big as it was. And I think by even like empire strikes back, they probably didn't know like how much of a bankable formula it was. So they were still taking chances, like somewhat in the dark, like star Wars was enough of a gargantuan hit that it was pretty assurable that it's sequel was going to be a hit as well. But it was like, they were still taking chances. Like, these chances seem like fake outs, you know, which is like, I think ultimately your problem with the ending, which is just like, since they have to keep like a model of success sustainable, they're never going to take any real chances. And like, that's why I think there is a sort of like its own fake out excitement with the DC movies because at least those are bad. (laughs) And so people are like, well, they're taking chances like, yeah, they're shittier movies. Like that doesn't mean that it's like a Uh, like a more rewarding chance it's taking. It's just like, it doesn't, hasn't figured out its own formula yet. You know what I mean? And so I don't know. There just seems to be like, like the, the worst reviews, which are mostly on social media for, for this and for kind of anything at this point is like the title of the movie, dot, 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 whoa, or dot, dot, dot. Holy shit. Infinity war, dot, dot, dot. Oh my God. Like, what what you're not saying anything a lot like the movie itself like you're not communicating anything Mm. So why bother sorry
0: no don't be sorry because yeah we sound angry and sorry like we are sorry if you like these movies we the last thing Joe and I will stop
1: we're sorry you like these movies (laughs)
0: So, <laughs> we're sorry if we come off as though we're making fun of many, the many people who like these
1: movies. Right. And yeah, I mean, the thing is like, there's, there's so much division in our culture right now, in our society right now. So if people find things that they commonly sort of enjoy, great. I don't, I really don't begrudge people going to see it. I'm not actively trying to dissuade people from seeing anything like this or this itself, you know, Right. I definitely am speaking to an empty parking lot when I'm like, go see, you are never really here, sir. Who are you talking to? I'm not going anymore. Cause they all left. <laughs> you know, but like, but yeah, like I'm, I'm glad people like something. It's just like, it, it has been depressing for a really long time that it's just like, it's, it's this like, you're, it's just this installment thing of like uh, buy the buy the next toy, get the next Happy Meal toy, and like we're gonna take a real insane chance with no, you're not, and that's fine, I guess. If yeah, this, yeah. Well, I'm just kind of saddened by the like the way the audience
0: has just developed such a short term memory loss, or like long they they don't they have everything is short term memory, I guess is what I mean. Where they like the cycle we've seen. So many series at this point, franchises that are like this, this is the Empire Strikes Back of this series. Like you've said, like that's become its own sort of pandering structure to the middle chapter we're going to give you or the ultimate dark uh,
1: chapter. But like I said, like we're always in some dark chapter of one of the spinoffs. So it's just like, oh,
0: exactly. right so where the the mem- it's it's shocking that this would be shocking to people I'm like as soon as the credits went up I was like well okay um there's a few moments that really work with how they conclude uh or cliffhang this this uh, infinity war movie but um I'm also like what are people falling for this for like there's literally an Avengers movie next year mm-hmm. and
1: uh yeah without yeah I don't know man it's it's like unless it's called infinite funeral like <laughs> Oh shit! This is like the two movies, like a two-hour funeral for all the dead Avengers who don't come back. They're really concluding this thing. <laughs>
0: oh, God, yeah, man. I don't know. I I just um, I'll, my small victory after seeing Avengers uh, yesterday was convincing uh, a good friend of mine who lives in Seattle to go see You Were Never Really Here, and he went and saw that night. Last night, he's like, "What movie should I see between that or Isle of Dogs?" And I'm like, "Both are great." But please, please, please go see. You were never really here, and we he he did, which just made me feel good. And then we talked about that, and he had seen the Avengers movie. He's a big fan of uh, mm-hmm. comic books in general and the Marvel movies. Um, but just the fact that I he went to see, you yeah. were never really here. I was like, all right, I've done I've done something positive for today, <laughs> yeah. you know, and. And uh, that was a small victory. We we need these small victories for for the movies that matter to us, um, because yeah, that's that is a movie that will show you things you haven't seen before. So um, you know, th- some of us prioritize that more than others, and I guess we just have to accept that, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> It's not going to stop us from blabbing on a podcast though. So um.
1: two newer films who we decided to thread together because of their uh, different approaches through different genres of uh, women in uh, extremes, yeah. extreme circumstances that uh, transform the, the sort of lead protagonists who are both women. Um, one of which is a, just a splashy midnight movie called revenge. And the other is the new film by Jason Reitman written by Diablo Cody. They've, you know, paired up several times at this point, And it's Tully with Charlize Theron. Um, both, you know, like I said, involve a, a tr- transformation of the lead characters through perilous, extreme circumstances. Um, one of which is just like a, a, a more, you know, kind of, Domestic film, the yeah. other a nightmarish, hallucinatory scenario, um, which we'll talk about, which is revenge.
0: Yeah, yeah, let's let's dive in, because I feel like this genre that revenge falls into mm-hmm. is something you and I are familiar with. Uh, the the ever so <laughs> naughty and always problematic rape revenge subgenre of movies. Yeah. Um, we, we've talked about it. On previous episodes, um, I know "I Spit on Your Grave" was a, a maybe a brief argument we might have had years ago. The the original "I Spit on Your Grave," where I was like, I well, I kind of liked it, and you were like, "Ick, dude, ick," and uh, I understand, I understand. Um, but there are, I think, even in the icky problematic versions of the these movies, which I'd say uh-huh. most of them fall into that kind of description, <clears throat> there is there are subversive elements that can come from really good filmmakers can try something new or or um yeah there 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 are all these these the minor tweaks to the formula that can happen or a quality of filmmaking can kind of elevate it from being something that isn't just grimy and gross right um, so i think revenge kind of stands out in a modern day context of like it's not like we're getting a ton of these movies now anymore not like Back in the 70s when it was almost like a regular exploitation release schedule for these kind of things. But um, we do see a ton of, you know, uh, rape imagery, rape sequences in like some of the most popular of like uh, shows and movies that are out right now. Game of Thrones.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: is full of this stuff. Um, and it's like the most popular show on TV right now. So uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting how this stuff has in some ways creeped into the mainstream, but I think it's safe to stay with, with this one revenge. This is definitely like a niche, smaller movie as it's, Uh, It's being put out by Neon, which is an up and coming cool distributor, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're also, they've made a deal to put it out in Shudder, I believe. And I think it's mostly going to be streaming or it's being distributed through Shudder and Neon. So definitely a smaller audience for this one, but one that I hope kind of finds it because I do think, um, I don't know if this is going to be surprised. I kind of like this movie, despite plenty of like things that you have to sort of accept um, and if you don't, I think there's plenty of things that will be just deal breakers for people um, on a movie like this because of almost silliness or uh, yeah. whole, uh, totally unrealistic, I guess, would be another way to put it. But if you go on the ride, there, there's a style to this movie. Um, and the director is, I think, worth noting. I, I don't want this to always be a the big deal. I think directors should just be known as good directors or not. But um, she's a. It, it's made by a female filmmaker. And I think most of these films aren't made they're mostly made by men so that's an inherent uh that's a that's an interesting thing to maybe look at
1: well i think i think it has to matter because like for one she is like an incredible filmmaker like i don't i don't think this is her this may be her first feature but like i i know that she's been a, a working filmmaker for for a while now um coralie fargiat i yeah, believe what else
0: has she worked on yeah
1: I think um, she's she's made some shorts, um, but yeah, this looks like it's her her like first feature film. Exactly. And um, for one, like I think my my um, Ick on your grave, like my Ick factor with like that genre of movies like the the payoff essentially like the revenge portion of uh the the film like the the payoff in those films that sort of like kind of came to prominence uh in the 70s and into the 80s like it makes the violation the sexual assault like an essential part of the story and necessitating that just feels gross especially in what was still largely suffocatingly a misogynistic culture. So it was hard to disentangle like the attempt to subvert misogyny without still enforcing it, Yeah, you know? And especially like as a blowback from like the rise of feminism, like in the sixties and seventies, like it just, you can't not see it as like a sort of counter to that. Like there was so much, there, there was just so much backlash to it in pop culture and like that's that's very palpable in these like rape revenge movies even if the woman is ultimately empowered like it still necessitates the violation right and like that's gross it's like really hard to confront but like these these movies are engineered to be hard to confront you know like to to like to deal with and like you know, I think the ones that's sort of like are not just ick factor movies, like I Spit on your grave or like Ms. 45 is a good example of it. Yeah. Um, But this movie is just like, it has to matter that it's a woman director because like it's a, it's a movie that focuses on like the male gaze, but it's a woman directing it. So it's just like, it's like it's dissecting the male gaze and how like poisonous and like, and insidious that can become. And like, there are things just about this movie that are so just like electrically charged that, like, even in their most obviousness, like, there is a life, like, a, a like hysterical life to it. Yeah. You know, like, there's obvious imagery that, like, you know, is obvious imagery. Like, the main character who ultimately is she's, she's um, flown out to the desert with her boyfriend who is a married man. And so she's like the, the, the sort of woman on the side she's like a young, stunningly beautiful woman. And then his friends show up kind of unannounced early to this like retreat in the desert. And then they start kind of like fixating on her and then the tide turns and one of them assaults her and like the the whole thing gets rolling and eventually you know it turns into a sort of hallucinatory desert revenge fantasy and uh <laughs> but like there's imagery in it like where she bites an apple and leaves it that's like that's straight biblical imagery of like you know Eve biting the apple and the apples left there to rot and it's just like as obvious as that is right they're still it there's still like in a, a sense of like it being evocative to the point of like being genuinely exciting, you know? And like, there's just, there's so many things that pop in this movie that like are like just Paul Verhoeven level of just like splashy satire and are so just like alive in a way that like, as you said, there are, there are deal breaker moments where you're like, what, what's happening where it may detach from reality, but it's like, if you go the extremity of it, there is such a, like a gift to what this movie basically like assaults, you know what I mean? Like because it, it, it like, it lays waste to, to the male gaze to like the, the sort of like objectification of women, like to reduce women to be like just the, like the objects that men, careless, thoughtless sociopathic men do what they want with. Like, it's like it lays waste to that and there is like such a thrilling kind of like i don't know there's just there there's a genuine catharsis after like the sort of false catharsis of what these movies kind of have been in the past it's like a reckoning with what they like have been in a weird way like i I don't know there's just and they're like and aside from all of that it's fucking beautiful. Like yeah. it's a beautiful looking movie. Like I can't believe like how, like the sequence towards the end of the movie where it all sort of circles back to where everything started, circles. like is so blood soaked and like incredible. And like the sound design in this movie is also really kind of expertly done. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like I was, <laughs> once the movie kind of like really got, got in and like started you know, going like sort of losing the sort of need to be ultra realistic. I like, I kind of fell all the way in. And then by, I think the conclusion is like one of the best stretches of the film itself. There's like a simplicity to the resources used in this movie of
0: like, uh, it's got a great location. Clearly somebody built a really expensive house in the middle of nowhere in a desert. And uh-huh. They got to shoot it there and they make use of that. It's, um, it made me think of what something I loved about Ex Machina, the Alex Garland movie, which actually I think has touches of the rape revenge genre, especially near the end when it becomes more uh, of an empowerment vengeance kind of uh, tale. but that movie also had just made use of an amazing house, an amazing location. And then you use a small amount of characters, but it can feel big. Revenge, revenge feels big. There are shots of, um, the three men who are, uh, there on a hunting trip specifically. So the movie is almost like comically, um, uh, the, the, the disadvantages for this character. I think her name is Jen when the shit goes down and she's attacked and kind of left for dead. Um, the, the the everything is tipped the scales are so tipped against her these guys are hunters uh they've got like four-wheelers dirt bikes cars guns everything and mm-hmm. um she has nothing but her wits and like pure almost talk about hallucinatory supernatural survival instincts um that's when i uh, for one i was going to say some of those shots of them like riding through the desert like like george miller would be proud of that for a mad max movie like it looks incredible and yeah. it's clearly a small movie but uh uh, but that's the the moments you're talking about when the movie started to go just truly just embrace of sort of batshit crazy unreality sort of that's when I really locked into the movie. And I I was like appreciating the subversive elements of the first third, the way that it does not dwell on the actual, um, attack. It actually, the camera leaves the room in a way that is actually more effective
1: and haunting. And the the use of sound in that sequence is fucking devastating. There's also,
0: yeah, there's also a shot, a reverse shot of one of the other men who just allows this to happen when he could stop it, but he, and, his silence and you talked about sound design there's a close up of him just he's he's the unattractive guy of the group and he just can't be bothered to even like make an effort with women he just like isn't going to do anything he can't be bothered and he's eating the like chocolate and they yeah they like there's insert close ups and then the sound design that like amplifies a close up and makes it feel like it's huge um mm-hmm. that kind of stylistic flourishes were really well done and and I went for this movie. There's a point where our, our heroine has to uh, heal her. She's it's, it's like a scene in so many action movies, right? You got to stitch yourself up. You got to, you know, it's, it's carterize the, the wound carterize the wound. And the movie is so embracing and knows what it is. it, it embraces its silliness. She takes what she has to carterize the wound and, is left with an imprint from a beer can. That's like a, <laughs> that's a Phoenix on her. And she tattoos a Phoenix on her stomach as a result. And it's like, okay, that's incredibly silly, but I love that. That's what this movie's doing now. And then yeah. it really just becomes a, like a fun, nasty, nasty wild ride. And, um, I did like that. And I think that final stretch you refer to is really inventive, but inventive in the way that it uses small, close quarters. I mean, it's basically taken one part of this gorgeous house where characters run in a circle at each other in almost a cat-and-mouse-style thing, but it, like, keeps going. I, I really I really admire that stuff. So, yeah, I, I think this movie, if you're willing to go for the silliness, it's kind of awesome to behold in that way.
1: Yeah, it's it's got this like level of extremity that really like once you kind of you know force your nerves and your sort of nervous system to deal with you feel like you come out the other end like having really kind of I don't know dealt with something like the way like a a, a noise show can be like a the the level of extremity acts as a reset so you can like reapproach things with this kind of weird uh just like it levels you in a weird way. Um if that makes any sense. Like yes, yes. Like it just pushes things to such an extreme that you're just like you you feel like you've dealt with something. I feel like um the midnight kind of circuit for festivals, like where this movie played you know a, a good deal of them, like I feel like it shares um commonality with Raw, you know, another sort of like directed by a woman uh, dealing with female protagonists and like their, their transformation. And it pushes like this level of like uh, this histrionic level to such a breaking point that you're just like, it's, I don't know it, it, as opposed to numbing out, which so much like popular entertainment is just like your inevitable result with the sort of uh, the, the overload of it is just to like numb out and shut down. Like this pushes every one of your buttons until you're like at this level of hysteria that the 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 movie just leaves you at and like i think that there's something just so stunning and beautiful about the conclusion of this movie so blood-soaked and literally naked and feral that's like it was really like i i mean i didn't see this in the theater unfortunately i saw this like as a screener link, but as now I know that it's going to get a limited theatrical run. And I would love to see how this plays an audience. Cause it like, it is really symphonic in that way that it like crescendos so incredibly, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That like, since movies have become just like strictly crescendo, like they don't work. Whereas like this movie genuinely builds in this kind of like beautiful, devastating way that still manages to have splashy satire to it. Yeah. No.
0: And it doesn't it doesn't hold back anything. It just is it's just much smarter and um I think obviously again because the director is she's coming at a genre that has been made by men almost nonstop. I mean, even some of the good ones we listed, Miss Forty Five, that's Abel Ferreira, uh and uh, you know, Thriller, A Cruel Picture. You ever seen that one from the seventies? That's a that's a nasty, nasty no. movie. Um, uh uh-huh. It's it's also called like they call her one eye, but um Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's an incredible movie, but like it's uh it's troubling because it lingers on things for so long. It's where it's like it's all about that male gaze is the sort of thing that's kind of infecting what's supposed to be a female empowerment story. And you yeah. f- you flip that in this movie, Revenge, where she's giving it she's sort of commenting on the male gaze. Obviously, this movie is not through that. She's she's making you think about both sides in a way that I thought were really interesting. And she'll give in to certain shots that are obvious, like this pretty um, actress like walking around in her underwear and a t-shirt. And she's got... Like heart-shaped earrings and she uh she sucks on a lollipop in close-up. Like she embraces her sexuality and it that's what we're supposed to take from it. She's not embarrassed to be that type mm-hmm. for this guy that she thought she liked or whatever, you know? And I like that. It's a it's a flip on a head of where a guy might portray that in a way that would make me feel uneasy of like, is he like slut shaming this person, you know, for because of so yeah. there's a flip right there and then Anybody, it's like a it's like a thing to weed out a shitty audience member that might think, well, she was asking for it, and it's like you are as troubled as the fucking guys in this movie, and um, I like that it it can be something that you have to think about it more because she just doesn't give you the like the gross exploitative like drawn out rape sequence and stuff. It's built up. It's really harrowing, and that part feels like just disturbingly all too possible that it could happen in that way. But she's making us realize the, like the, the way like male entitlement can just flip and turn into something so cruel and ugly so quick, you know, like, uh, it's impressive, man. And then, and then she gives you that hour long action movie after, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, this is a really cool movie. It, I didn't really know much about it and it played at TIFF Midnight Madness last year and I guess I missed it or, or didn't hear much about it. But uh, I mean, that would have been an amazing screening to go to. I would love to get to see this in a theater, but I don't I don't think it'll come here. So um, hopefully you can see it in LA
1: yourself. Yeah, it's definitely playing here um, at some point, which I'm excited about. And yeah, it's just, it's just interesting to like, see a movie have kind of a genre payoff, but be really dealing with what the genre has sort of delivered thus far and kind of like dissecting it in this way that still manages to be a delivery system for like a thrilling experience, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And it's uh, like, Oh, go ahead. huh? Go ahead.
0: I was just going to say quick, my favorite review I've read of this movie is by Britt Hayes. Who's, um, She's a really good critic. She um, writes for Birth, Movies, Death, and I think this review is on Screen Crush of Revenge, but she loved the film and had a great way of pointing out that if you think about it, there's several layers of revenge in this movie, but the main thrust of it is the revenge is the rape that she points out. Like the guy who does it to her, that's like a revenge for him. It's to all the women that have never been attracted to him that he wanted for himself. And it that ugliness that the movie highlights and points out I, and that this critic, Britt Hayes, pointed out, I was like, oh, man, I never thought about that. But that's another layer. And then, of course, you get the sort of uh, joyous might not be the right word, but you just get the thrilling batshit insanity of the last hour, which is just pure, like, simple revenge get these guys you know and um Mm -hmm. then the empowerment for the character i feel like is much more rewarding and and works better um so yeah i think i think this is one of the highlights of this subgenre like i guess in conclusion
1: and well yeah and in a weird way um like the way unforgiven was like a reckoning with like the sort of mythology of Westerns. Like yeah. this is a sort of reckoning with the mythology of those, of those sort of like pulpy genre movies from like decades before, you know? And it's like the way that movie was like the way unforgiven was poetic in it's like examination. And in it's like sort of dark comedic approach to a lot of it. Not all of it. The movie's like pretty, <laughs> pretty fucking raw through a lot of it. I still think some of it's funny. But I agree. Like, I think the the it's a similar poetic approach to like reckoning with like a mythology, you know, and like this there's just some there's a real genuine like thrill to it and a real like beauty at work. So yeah, if you if you can stomach it and you can handle it, um it's coming out on May 11th. Um limited theatrical release, I think, and uh streaming and
0: yeah. If you have shutter, I guess, look there eventually, but my guess is they'll just drop it VOD on the same day. So just be looking on may 11th, uh, yeah. to find it. And I, I guess just real quick, I wanted to say like, this is like the second coming of the French new extreme, which was much more common in the mid two thousands, you know, with movies we've talked about like inside and martyrs and, uh, high, um, uh, what was the one high tension is, is the mm-hmm. sort of big one. um, buckets of blood are dropped in this movie but you know i think it's it's actually a smarter better film than all of those in my opinion at least um the insides and martyrs of the world and i i like those movies enough but uh this one kind of adds more to that than just the gore but it does not scrimp on that at all so uh, i guess be warned and um. yeah, uh, good to see some life in this genre because I think that there can be good things that come from it and uh, the thrills, cinematic thrills can exist that are unique to this type of movie that uh. that's good to see. So yep. happy, happy to see a good one.
1: So loosely threading it to our our, <laughs> our next review um, Tully which uh, is, that's not the name of the Tom Hanks movie about the guy that landed the plane. In Sully. A, Sully. Right, <laughs> Sully terrible double feature, Sully and Tully. Um, <laughs> but uh, Tully is the, like I said, the new film by Jason Reitman, written by Diablo Cody. That's supposed to be like a spiritual kind of like conclusion to the trilogy that started with Juno, continued with Young Adult, and now we're here with Tully. Um, and it's about a uh, a mother who you know is like maintaining this this family life um going on to have her her she just had her third child at the beginning of the film um or no she she has it at the beginning of the film and she is she's she's married you could tell that they're, they're a functional, solid relationship, maybe passionless a little bit. It may have become routine, but she's like, she's really sort of bogged down, exhausted at the beginning of the movie as she's approaching, like birthing a new child. And like, it's just the harrowing experience of how exhausting family life can be. And um, it's like a, a, I don't know, an, a new approach just because like we're used to s- seeing family life represented in kind of montages set to like, you know, a a song that's cheerful and bittersweet. And like, you just kind of get the quick clips and not how hard it is in the day to day kind of trudge, through like just trying to get by mm-hmm. and um Charlize Theron like you know literally physically transforms to to become this character she i guess gained 50 pounds to play a sort of like worn down exhausted mom mm-hmm. and she's uh her husband is played by ron livingston i've yeah. been confused by friends who have been like rob 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 lovingston like no it's from from swingers and office anyway swingers always yes yeah um so so yeah this is just like it's it's with diablo cody's signature you know quick quick jabs and like you know slightly heightened stylized dialogue um But it's ultimately like a pretty realistic approach to a woman on the brink, you know, who's like just not, you know, barely holding it together while dealing with her two children already and the newborn and like one of her children is sort of like on the spectrum. And it's just like it's a very tender movie through most of it. And the I guess the 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 title character is eventually a night nurse who's introduced to the fold, who becomes like Everything that Charlize Theron's character has needed, you know, that like is the embodiment of all that is like capable that she's missing, that she maybe once used to be. Oops, um, and like, <laughs> and that she's played by what Mackenzie Davis? Is yes. that her name? Yeah. Um, oh, I love. I love. Yeah, she's great, man. Yeah, been popping um, up on a lot of good
0: stuff like Blade Runner twenty forty nine and uh, yep. Halt and Catch Fire. I've seen the first season of that
1: show. She's in that. Always Shine. She's great in that. Ooh, nice. um, okay. And June Oparo from uh, Black Mirror season three.
0: Yeah, that was a happy one. Well, somewhat happy.
1: Mm, I've. I don't think I've cried that yeah. hard in a very long time. But yes, happy. Um, Sad. <laughs> but yeah, so look, let's uh, let's let's hear your thoughts on. Uh, on totally so far
0: for sure, man. Um, I, th- I think it's a, it's a good breakdown of the movie. I think what we will probably struggle to convey with words is what this movie does without words, what, what it does cinematically. And I think that's where I'm going to start is I am so impressed with the evolution of uh, Diablo Cody as a screenwriter. And I'm mm. only talking about, I haven't seen every movie she's written, but I've seen the majority of them. Uh, Ricky and the Flash, the Jonathan Demme movie, is one I actually kind of want to catch up with now as a result of seeing this. But uh, uh, most of her others I'm familiar with, she's really evolving into a just as she matures in life, I see a maturity in her writing that's really refreshing to see. And um, this movie is no different. I think Jason Reitman is a very... Much better filmmaker in this film than he was when he made Juno and Juno is a well-made movie Um, Mm -hmm. uh, up in the air is and thank you for smoking. You know, he's he's he had a brief run where he was kind of like his movies were hitting and getting lots of Oscar love, but he sort of had a few kind of like misfires
1: that I yeah. haven't even seen uh, in the last, like, I don't know, like men, women, and children or whatever that was called. Yep,
0: That was one. And then there's, he's had some misfires lately. I, I guess I'll just start with like the montages in this movie are really, really beautiful and well told and like so well utilized to um, do what this movie does best, which is to completely put you in the perspective of its main characters. Something I definitely love in movies. Um, and this one does very well. It just creates empathy for a character, but doesn't do it by. And it's debatable if it does in the end, but I think mostly doesn't do it cheaply. Doesn't use shortcuts or uh sentimentality, cheap sentimentality to get there. We're in her corner because we're seeing how miserable motherhood makes this person. Yeah. And that is extremely original in a movie I find. And also refreshing because I think a lot of popular culture from the last hundred years has done a huge disservice to uh, people in general, but women, I would say. Uh, let's just look at American films and American uh, women and, and men and how the effect that motherhood is this, this glorious thing that you should just be so glad, you know, that. A sort of very simplistic uh, not the whole not the whole story kind of look at motherhood, the real grim realities of motherhood is that you never sleep, you gain a bunch of weight and feel like shit and then you're always trying to catch up and you're you know like me and my girlfriend have a term for this for our friends we call it like dad brain or mom brain like they're just mm-hmm. they're operating at like a quarter of their potential and they're just doing the best they can. And this movie really helped me understand that struggle since I have not had kids, uh, me or uh, my girlfriend has not had kids. Like, we're we're not in that world, but... Damn it, this movie gives me empathy, but never, I felt like, faked it. Um, in fact, it was brutally honest in a way that the only other movie I can even think comes close to it is something like We Need to Talk About Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. Which acknowledges how, yeah, some people aren't built for motherhood or need help, and that's okay, you know, and, and without it, terrible things can happen. So. Um, what?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, like, what we, what is often the case um, is that, like, parenthood is transformative. And, like, that's what, like, I've seen it happen. I've seen friends who, like, have come to parenthood after being resistant. And it's, it truly has transformed them and for the better. Like, they, they are better. They, it opens up their ability to empathize, to care to a degree that they didn't think was possible. And, like, and, like as much as that can be true and is true, like culturally, I feel like we need it to be true Mm. and like dealing with the possibility that it isn't always true. Like is, is something that is as necessary, I feel like. And so dealing with the fact that it's fucking hard and like in, in the sort of case of, we need to talk about Kevin dealing with like the sort of horror movie atmosphere of when it is that hard and when it, when it isn't transformative and you're dealing with something that's like, wrong you know and like it isn't like a sort of easy like montage of like happy moments you know and and that it is like a harrowing experience and it's a moment-to-moment thing and the the fact that totally dramatizes the hard parts you know and it like it sort of gives focus and empathy to the parts where we aren't at our best and we aren't sort of like ascending to the heights of all of our potential and we're just fucking tired and like our kid is kicking the back of our car seat and we're like there's nothing left inside of us to like really deal or cope with it you know and it, like yeah. i think the movie is attentive in a way that is very essential to a part that doesn't really get enough light you know like there, sure there are plenty of movies that deal with how hard being a parent is mr mom you know that's that's one of them <laughs> uh there's just there's a, there's a litany of baby boom. That's another movie with uh, children, uh, oh, three men and a baby. <laughs>
0: yes, they get into the heroin trouble of being a parent, <laughs> Di-
1: diapers or something. Else. But like you know, like the fact that this movie just has a, a level of attention and empathy for something that I think kind of largely goes uninvestigated culturally. Um, I think we're not really going to get into it but like what the movie does eventually is like it's pretty bold in its sort of concluding section mm. um, I don't know that it works um, ultimately like it builds up a lot of goodwill and a lot of sort of like character development that I think that it jeopardizes in what is a like a very drastic turn that the movie takes um, but I think like enough has been done in the quality of the filmmaking that like it isn't entirely upended. And I think it'll just, it'll be interesting for viewers to see it. Maybe we can just open this up to like, let us know what you think. Like, because like this ending is maybe the further we get from the release date, we can actually sort of like pick it apart on future episodes. But Mm -hmm. like, it it does get uh you know there there is a eric and i parted in terms of like i think that the movie is compromised um by what its its choices but uh i feel like eric you felt like it was more of like a bold choice that was more like rewarding than it was not
0: i i did but i wrestled with it like immediately this is one of those movies that uh and i like that we are being as vague as possible because This is a good movie to go in knowing just thinking that it's about motherhood, you know, like just 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 that and then let it surprise you from there, Um, because I didn't think it was one of the the movie where it goes. I didn't think it was one of those movies. I never would have imagined that it would be one of these kind of movies. And. I had to initially just be like, I had to reckon with that because I was so in love with the movie I was seeing for the first hour and like 30 minutes. I was Mm -hmm. just like, you can't even screw this up. And I'd say mostly there is so much goodwill for me built up that despite still some reservations with it, um, I'm okay with it but yeah I came out of that screening thinking like oh no did they just fuck up what was a great movie in the last 10 minutes or the last 15 minutes and I Mm -hmm. had to like I didn't trust my opinion I had to like really like work it out with with my girlfriend when we had saw it after the movie but I did come around to thinking that it is it's the boldness of it and the originality of it in this kind of movie that I think um also, I think the, I think it was seeded enough, but there is an element in the, in the end that I feel like, um, and potentially this is a directorial thing, um, but maybe it's in the script. Well, I feel like what's revealed or what, what, where the movie turns is almost told with a whimper of like a lack of confidence. And I think um, I noticed in my small critic audience that like, I, I think a lot of people almost didn't register what it was saying, you know, like it's it's obvious, you know, like that they're they telling
1: tuned out, they're like, eh, they're already writing their reviews and not paying attention. to that.
0: <laughs> I mean, I could be dead wrong. You know, I'm just trying to gauge the feeling and it tends to be more quiet in small critic screenings anyway, cause we're here to watch the movies, but like, y- yeah, I got the sense that I, this is where I, I'm really dying to know how the audience will react to this movie. Cause I think it could be a hit like an, a sort of small scale indie hit. Um, mm-hmm. but I I think that 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 like that final third is really going to be a make or break for people. Um, I think another element that uh, as I look back to like seeing the movie, which was like a month ago, they screened this early uh, for Mm -hmm. us, the opening and final scenes like the final scene in particular, the opening and final scene sort of uh, are book, they sort of mirror each other. It has to do with this preparation she does to her second child, this boy who is probably on the autism spectrum, uh, mm-hmm. but it isn't diagnosed by the movie, which I actually kind of appreciated. Um, sure. But there's these, it's for me incredibly touching. Um, the opening scene, I'll just tell is Charlie's Throne does this. She brushes dead skin off her little boy because it makes him feel better. And you don't know why she's doing it in the beginning of the movie, but it's just this beautiful, it's almost like an angelic view of motherhood, right? Everything that the movie's going to then subvert, but you need to see that she cares. Charlie's Thrones character, Marlo, is a great mom because she gives a shit and she is willing to feel this tired and work this hard and be wrecked and lose herself, like literally feel like she is disappearing as a person where... But for this, she's willing to do it. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And then for them to touch back on that in the very final image, I was like kind of back to like being very touched. And there's an arc there between her son and her because they kind of have an understanding that like the dad can't have with the boy. And Mm -hmm. clearly his principals and teachers have. She gets her son. And I, I thought that was a beautiful note to go out on and I needed it because otherwise I would have thought like this movie just went off the rails and lost, lost track of what it was doing. But I think it's a reminder that like, like they knew what they were doing, but yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a complicated thing. I think that they were trying to balance, but I do wonder if there was a lack of confidence in the way the like reveal is presented in the end. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I think that it's like, it's, it's a, it's a jump and, uh, like it's a, it's a swerve that, is so identifiable to a certain set of movies that it's like, unless you're directly referencing this, like what it's reminiscent of, it's hard to reconcile it, you know? So like, I think, I think the moment you're talking about the concluding buttoning moment and some of the performances towards the end of the movie, as the reveal has been made sort of help uh, kind of like, ease you into like a naturalism that I think the, the, the reveal betrays Um, like Ron Livingston, like his, his kind of tearful like speech to um, Charlize Theron's character Mm. is like, it's so, it's so like heart shattering and great. And like the, the buttoning moment with the sun is like the same way that it sort of naturalizes a sort of bold choice that the, like the narrative and the movie itself makes. And so like, I think, I think like we said, there's enough goodwill and there's enough good at work in the movie that like, even if you take issue with the direction the movie goes in, there's still so much to take from the film and so much to be kind of like appreciative of that. Like, you know, I think interestingly enough, like both movies that we discussed today have kind of like, is the audience going to be with it moments of departure Um, that like, I think ultimately are just bold choices. The film, both films take that like wake you up out of a complacency. That's just all too common with like movie going nowadays, you know, with like how we just numb out and shut down and we're just sort of like, yeah, I'll see it. Yeah. I saw it. And like, that's it. You know,
0: (laughs) dot, dot, dot. Whoa.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Totally. dot, dot, dot. Holy shit. Holy <laughs> shit. That's my review. Holy shit. Um, but like, uh, you know, like I, as much as like you and I kind of went back and forth after I saw Tolly uh, a few weeks ago, just after you. And like, I appreciate that more than just having a sort of numb experience of having, you know, kind of like it just sat through something, you know, I, I like to actively engage with what's going on. And both movies did that, you know, in, in completely different ways with different approaches, like both movies were able to deal with like difficulty and extremity and be beautiful and thrilling in their own individual ways through different genres. Yeah. Uh, Hey, we did it. We tied the movies together. (laughs) Nicely done, man. We always find a way somehow.
0: Um, yeah, I think, I think that this movie were it not for the chances that it takes in this ending,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I would I would be shocked. I think it would have gotten a a, a fall or winter awards release. I mean, yeah. focus, focus is back on kind of back in the game. Focus features uh, after the Darkest Hour last year and Phantom Thread. And they've had some hits in other genres like Atomic Blonde, also with Charlie's Throne. Um, but... And they, they're putting this movie out and I think it's smart to put it out in the spring leading into the summer um, because it can be a sort of, uh, you know, a welcome something different from the stuff that's at most of the multi that's filling up most of the multiplexes. Um, yeah, but I do think that they would have really primed this for another Reitman Cody sort of awards release if if it didn't take the chances it did and. Um, I can't remember when their previous movie they did together, Young Adult, all three of them did together, which I, I still think is a really great, underrated movie. Yeah. Um, mean as hell, but man, I love that film. Uh, I think they might have, if I remember right, that got uh, like the Reitman Winter release because they thought, well, this team's back. And it sort of got punished almost. It didn't, it was such a mean, nasty movie that I don't think the Oscars took to it in that way. Um, and I think it's still a, that's a future hold up potentially for me. I just think such a great movie. Um, but maybe they were just more cautious, cautious as a result. that would be like a question I would want to ask that. I probably wouldn't get an answer to, but like, did it get this release instead of a more Oscar, uh, friendly one because the chances it takes, well, I mean, oh, well, that's too bad. Cause I think it's a movie that could be up for awards. Like Charlie's throne is incredible in this movie and the script is so strong. And, um, you know, whether or not that happens. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad that they just like that it's here and that it's out. Um, and that hopefully people, you know, will go, will go talk about it, go see it because, um, this one, this one like gave me elements that like made me reflect on like real life scenarios in a way that like really affected me. Uh, I guess to be brief, uh, I've gone through some shit lately with, and to be personal, I'll just get real. I've gone through some shit recently with my sister who I love and adore. She's a great person. She has just had her third child. Mm -hmm. And I sort of regret that we don't talk to each other as much anymore. Long story short, it's been like hard to communicate with her. This movie came at the right time for me. And I realized like, it's kind of me that's being selfish and wanting to talk to her more. And if she doesn't return my text or call me back, it's not cause she doesn't care. It's that she's fucking overwhelmed and she's got a third kid and she loves being a mom, but I know she feels like Charlotte's Throne feels in this movie. She must, you know? So Mm. the movie really helped, helped. It was like, uh, I, 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 uh, I was entertained. I was moved by it. I was, uh, uh, all those things that good cinema can do, but it also like really helped me get through some shit personally. Uh, that that uh, I I was pretty thankful for. So I hope that wasn't uh, you know a case of TMI here at the near the end of the podcast. But I just uh, it really it really helped. It helped in that way. I ne- I needed that glimpse into somebody else's experience uh, at that time.
1: Yeah, like Roger Ebert said, you know, film is a is an engine for empathy. So you know, you it gave you that. It's nice.
0: Always trust in Ebert. Well, often trust in Ebert. I'll say mm-hmm. he was he was wrong. We've all got our blind spots true well what do you say man should we wrap it up One seventy. yeah i thought
1: you were you were already saying thanks so i thought it was like <laughs> "Oh, are we, are we rushing the ending all right thank you
0: <laughs> all right well we'll do it for real
1: so just chill to the next episode
0: um, let's wrap up episode 175 of adjust your tracking. You can find all of our previous episodes, uh, and, uh, this one, and those of our other, uh, podcasts on the playlist podcast network. You can find that at the playlist.net or any podcatcher that you use, be it iTunes, Overcast, SoundCloud, any of those places, Stitcher, um, find us there. You can email us at adjust your at gmail.com. Uh, mm-hmm. we still got that Facebook page, right? Yep. Yep. We're going to leave it there. It's there. Not really yeah. monitoring it, but it lives, I guess. It's um, there.
1: We get <laughs> tagged often on, uh, you know, thanks to the playlist. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, we thank we thank the playlist
0: for their support. Uh, but, you know, uh, I got to thank you, Joe, for talking with me. Thanks, Eric.